a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is, how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we have to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, Jesus, like a son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, that he should, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he answered. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given us in your word. Lord, as we open your word now, I pray that you'll teach us, rebuke us, exalt us, and train us. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts, that we will hear your word today, that you'll open Sam's mouth, that he will speak your words and not his. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Good to be back. Morning, Chapel Street online and those that listen to the podcast later on. Um, I invite you to open the Word of God. If you haven't brought one with you, 
Shame on you. Bring one next week. Uh, how do you know what I'm saying is true if you haven't got the Bible in front of you? But uh, don't feel too bad. And if you do really want one, you can get one at the back. Let's pray again. Our Father in heaven, we do indeed uh, want to thank you and praise you this morning. Lord, we want to pause and reflect again on who your son is and what he's like. And Lord, we really want to consider how we put you first in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has not left us alone with no voice to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your holy word and that we can hear your voice in it. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, as we gather in together around your word, we would indeed hear you speak, that you would challenge us, change us, equip us, exhort us, rebuke and correct and admonish, Lord, that we would somehow leave here changed, desiring to put you first in our lives and living for your glory. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but the weeks come and they go, and on average you get 4,000 weeks if you live uh, 70 years. So they come and they go pretty quick, and each week has its own variety of challenges and issues and joy. But each week I struggle, as I think you do, to put God first. Often I just put myself first, and I might even forget that God exists. It's a terrible thing, but it's true. And if that's the case for you, then this passage about the rich young ruler is for you. It's certainly been for me as I have tried to put it together, and I do pray that uh, God would bless you with it. But it's a passage that will call you, if you listen carefully, to make Christ first. It will call you to make Christ, as it were, the champion of your life. And so I pray that you would really listen carefully. Now, Luke records for us that it's a uh, ruler that we're dealing with here. But Matthew adds a little bit more and tells us that he's rich and he's young. And so we have a rich, young ruler things that people want, particularly when they're young. And so he comes and he asks Jesus an important question. And I want you to note that Jesus, through this story and through his spirit and the word, has given us two pictures. And I want us to see those two pictures. The first one is the rich young ruler. And he's a man that wants something, eternal life. But he's a man that's not willing to give up his other life, to have it. And the second picture is the story of a poor fisherman. We know him as Peter, but that's what he is, a poor fisherman. He's a man who had nothing really, or little, and yet he traded that which he had to follow Christ, and in so doing, he received eternal life. What a contrast. I want to spend a moment just looking at these two pictures, and then I want to draw some more detail out about this rich young ruler that I hope will encourage us. So let's look at the two pictures very carefully. We're in, John eight, uh, we're in Luke 18, verse 18, and I'll read it again for us and inflect for us. And a ruler, a rich young ruler, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honour your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said, oh, well, all of these things I have done since I was a kid, paraphrasing. And when Jesus heard this, he said, well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So we have this rich, young ruler. In one sense, by any standards, at any time in history, he's kind of got everything. He's got authority, comes with some kind of power. He's got wealth, which also, to some degree, brings power. And he's young. And as a man of, mind your own business, 50 plus years, um, I want youth. So I miss youth. Of course, I want to be with Christ more, but a lot of people hark back and want youth. And there are some young people here, too, and some very young ones. But this man kind of has it all, but he knows that something is missing in his life. Something he would like to have, but the things he has in life won't give to him. And so he asked Jesus the basic question, what do I have to do? to inherit eternal life. I find that an odd thing because inheritance isn't something you do to get. Inheritance is something you get because you are connected with the one who's going to give you by family, the inheritance. And so Jesus gives him a challenge straight away. He says, well, what are the commandments? He goes to the law. We discover that this man, at least according to the laws that Jesus pronounces here, is a good law keeper. So he's even done that pretty well. And he says he's done it since he was a youth. Well, the conversation seems to be going pretty well. And then the Lord gives him a second challenge to give up his wealth, to sell everything he has and give the money to the poor and to go and follow Jesus. And then from that point, things start going a little south, don't they? The man comes to Jesus recognizing that he is good and he's a teacher, but he leaves Jesus full of sorrow because he is extremely rich. He never gets eternal life never gets to understand. We don't know what happens to him. Maybe he does get it at some point. This is a real event. This is not a parable. And to me, it's totally illogical. This man knows that he hasn't got something that he really needs, eternal life, and he's not prepared to give up his old life to have it. It just is ridiculous. <laughs> it makes no sense. And yet, we do understand that, don't we? We get it. 
Well, let's look at the second picture then, the poor fisherman, as I'm calling him. Verse 24 following, it says, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, well, look, how difficult is it for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, who can be saved then? But he said, well, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, look, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or his wife or his brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. But it sounds like it's difficult for people that are rich to enter the kingdom of God, doesn't it? That's not really what it's saying. And we'll cover that a little bit more later on. Just want to consider this camel passing through the eye of a needle. People make great theological um, dialogue around this, about what the eye of a needle is. Is it a hole in a wall and how big are the camels and all the rest of it? I just want to be very simple about the text. Jesus is talking about a needle. He's talking about a camel. He's making a basic point. You can't get the camel through the eye of the needle. That's what he's trying to say. It's just a simple point. We mustn't overcomplicate it. It's impossible. And so the people go, well, how's a rich person going to get into heaven? And he says, well, guess what? You can't. It's impossible. But with God, it's possible. And the reason is, God has sent his son. The reason is there is good news. The reason is the law has paid the price. And in this picture, this poor fisherman has given up everything he's got to follow Jesus. And so he inherits eternal life. He gets many times more than he's given up, as Jesus said. And that, that's the reading of the text. That's the basic reading of the text. But I want us to just dig a little deeper, as usual, and get into what's really going on for this rich young ruler. We have the same struggles, as I said right at the beginning. So we really should try and understand what's going on in this mind, the mind of this man and the mind of his and his heart. Because we have to live with money. And if that's the case, I want to work out. Make sure I'm going to heaven, don't you? You want to be sure that you have eternal life? And let's be honest, we're all very wealthy. Even by the standard of this rich man, we're very wealthy today in this world. So let's dig a little deeper. And I want to do that by just saying that I think this man has got three basic problems. And I might put them a little bit out of order, but you'll see why, hopefully, as we go through it. I want us to look at these problems and dig into them. The first problem is the man wants eternal life by doing something he wants to gain eternal life by doing something he knows his money isn't going to work he knows that his youth doesn't make any difference and he knows that his authority and rule whatever that may be also makes no difference so he knows he wants to do not inherit <laughs> he recognizes perhaps that he isn't in the right family to get eternal life 
And we know that the theme of the Bible is that you cannot inherit eternal life. You cannot get into the kingdom of God. You cannot be forgiven for your sins by doing good. You might say, well, there's a law. And if we subscribe to the law, if we come under the law and fulfill it by doing it well, then we'll get to heaven. And of course, the answer is actually, yes, you would. But the problem is, the law isn't to, there to make you do that. The law is there to prove that you can't do that. It's an enduring theme in the Bible. And so we have the atonement, we have the sacrificial system, and ultimately we have the Lamb of God. The Bible's really clear about how we do get to eternal life. And incidentally, eternal life isn't the goal. That's the byproduct. The goal is to get to Jesus, to get to be with Jesus. And these other things come as a result. The Bible actually tells us that works are no good at all. You know the text. Hopefully you know the text. We could look at Romans 3. We could, we could look at Romans 8. We could look all over the Bible. But the one I want to focus on for a second is Ephesians 2. Look at verse 4 following. Because you don't get to heaven with works. You get to heaven as a gift from God. We call that grace. And that comes through faith. Have a listen to the text. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. And you say, amen, right? By grace. That's how he did it. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do it? Well, Paul tells us. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It's not that in the coming ages, he might show the good works that we did. Do you see the difference? Because it's all about him in grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for and Paul emphasizes it again by grace you have been saved through faith and this isn't your own doing it's a gift of God not as, as a result of works as if it was you'd boast and God wouldn't get the glory. What an amazing mechanism God has set up for us to come and receive grace, the gift of God. And that gift, salvation. The result, eternal life with God. The inheritance adopted into the family, co-heirs with Christ. Read Romans 8. It's all about that. It's clear, isn't it, that salvation, eternal life doesn't come through doing. It comes through believing, through trusting in the promises of God, through trusting in the fulfilled work of the cross. It's finished, he says, on the cross. Listen to this, John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, listen carefully, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever does good works, enough good works. It says whoever believes him, whoever trusts him. Do you trust him with your life? This man just wants to do something. He's not interested in Jesus. He notices he's a good teacher, but he's not interested in, I just need to know what I've got to do. Just tell me what I've got to do and I'll get it done and then I'll have eternal life and I can go on enjoying this life in the meantime. That's his first problem. I think his second problem is that he doesn't put God first in anything. For him, the number one thing is his own life. Here's the rich man asking what he must do. And strangely, Jesus gives him something to do. Of course, not because it would save him, but because it would show us and him what's missing. He says, one thing you still lack. All that, sell, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. That's all you got to do. And come and follow me. What must you do? I'll give you something to do. Sell everything you have. <laughs> give it to the poor. To find out what's going on in your heart, rich man. That's what he's saying. And of course, the man, as we said already, leaves sorrowful because he was extremely rich. And often think if he was extremely rich, surely he could have, you know, just sold something and given it to the poor and kept the rest. He didn't even think of doing that. He just says, sell all you have and give to the poor. We have to ask the question, why? <laughs> why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he give it up? Why doesn't he say, okay, I'll do that. I want to follow you on eternal life. Let's do this. And the simple answer to that is because he loves his life more than eternal life. That's it. He loves his life more than the eternal life he's actually seeking not willing to trade what he currently has for something even more amazing. It's bizarre. But the more complex answer is he does it because he loves this life more than he loves God. And that's what Jesus is exposing. You want something to do? I'll give you something to do. Well, I'm not going to do that. Why not? Because he loves this life more than he loves God. He loves his his life first and everything else is second isn't that the world today isn't that the nature of sin me <laughs> me i want you to feed me i want you to love me i want this in life for me i want to enjoy it i want to gratify my life that's what he's about that's what we're about without christ with christ there's a wrangling there's a change there's a fight that goes on Without him, we're completely lost and cannot fight that at all. Jesus has already taken the man to the law. And I want to jump back to that. Because this is the bit that really reveals where he's going wrong. Verse 20 again. Hey, look, you know the commandments, rich young man, rich young ruler. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, oh, good. I've kept all of these since I was a kid. Great. Done well. What's interesting about this is these are the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? These are part of the Ten Commandments. But it's not the whole Ten Commandments. In fact, it's just five of them, which means that there are five missing. 
Why did God, why did Jesus not point that out? Why didn't he start number one? Let's go for all 10. How are you doing on all of them? He just picked out the ones that the man believed that he'd been able to do. I just need to say something about the Ten Commandments before we look at these other commandments. And that is that there's two elements to the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments concern how we relate or should relate to God. The second six commandments relate, concern how we should relate to our neighbor. And that's why the sum of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your, come on, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to say to you, you can't really love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love God. You can't do these last six commandments, two of which are missing, which concern coveting, interestingly. You can't do them if you don't really love God. That's just works. It's dead. But if you love God, then those things will flow. They'll follow. So Jesus leaves them out. <laughs> so it's probably good to look at what's missing. Or coveting, as I've already said. But the first four are missing. The first four that concern God. The concern where God needs to sit in our lives. The place we need to give to God in our lives. They're missing. Jesus doesn't say them. So I'm going to say them. Let's hear them again. Exodus 20. I am, says God, the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember that? Out of the house of slavery, here it is, you shall have no other gods before me. None. I am number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first one is, you'll have no gods before me. I'm the God. You put me first. The second one is, don't go creating idols that you worship. Now, you might be thinking straight away about carved idols. And that's what the text is saying. But there are other idols where, this one theologian says, we're idol factories. We create idols. Money is a biggie. Do you agree? Money is a big idol. But there are others. You can probably list some of them off in your own mind. So that's number two. Number three. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, you've got to give God the right place. You know what number four is? Sabbath. Thank you. Remember the Sabbath day. That means observe the Sabbath day. Take a day off. Why? Because the way I created was in six days, and then I took a day off. And I made this day so that you could take a day off and honor me in it, that you'd sit in creation and marvel and wonder. It's about putting God in his right place again, isn't it? Oswald Chambers, a Christian writer from some years ago, used to write little books of encouragement and exhortation and devotion. 
In one of his books, he said this, your priorities must be God first, God second, God third, until your life is continually face to face with God. What is he saying there? He's saying it's all, this life is all about God. It's all about his glory. Keep that in your mind. Work on that. Live that way until you're face to face with God, because then you will see it's all about him. You'll finally be face to face with him. I think that's a great quote. This rich young ruler is not saying God first, God second, God third. He's saying me first. Forget about the rest. I want eternal life just because I don't want to not have eternal life. Me first. That's his second problem. And his third problem, and this I think is the most profound, is he doesn't know who Jesus really is. He doesn't have a clue who Jesus really is. There's a huge irony in this, isn't there? Because Jesus, the son of God, is standing there talking with this man, engaging with him about the truths of life. And he, Jesus, is the single most valuable treasure in the cosmos. <laughs> More rich than this man could ever even think. He's engaging with him. He's arrogant, this man. He's really arrogant. But he says, good teacher. Great way to start. Good teacher. Tell me how to get eternal life. Jesus' response is interesting. He doesn't go straight to the law. He doesn't go straight to seeing if the man's heart is in the right place. So he would give up all his wealth. He says something very bizarre. He said, why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? <laughs> no one's good except God alone. Now, what's he doing? I think he's giving him a little bit of a nudge, a bit of a clue. Why do you call me good? Let's talk about God. Am I good? Maybe, maybe you should consider, if I'm really good, whether I'm God. I think he's giving him a nudge, but the rich young ruler doesn't really care. Not interested, really, in who Jesus is. He cares only about who he is. But here's something you need to take away today. Jesus really cares who you think he is. You might not care. This rich young ruler might not care, but he really cares about who you think he is. Why? Because he's God. Because God cares about who you think he is. Because he's God. Because this is all about him. You exist for him. I exist for God. If I live my life for me, I just undermine God's value in terms of how we think about him. You know, Matthew, you know this passage well, the Lord Jesus uh, goes to the disciples and he says, uh, tell me who they, the people say that the Son of Man is, referring to himself. Tell me what they're saying about me. Who cares about what they're saying about him? Who do they think I am? And their answers are brilliant. They say, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And some people are saying you're Elijah, and some people are saying you're Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets. They're pretty good titles to have. Maybe they should have said there, and there's this rich young ruler who says you're a good teacher. <laughs> and Jesus says something to them that we all need to hear. But who do you say I am? 
Who do you say I am? Forget what they say. Who do you say I am? And here it is. Peter gets it. This poor fisherman gets it. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are God. You are the anointed one. The correct place. Jesus is the creator. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What does John say next? All things were created through him. And then he rounds it off perfectly. Nothing that has been created has been created without him. He's the creator. He is the prophet that Moses talks about. He is the great high priest. He is the king. He is the son of the living God. He is the Christ. He is the redeemer. He's the high king of heaven. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of God's nature. What does that mean? He's God. He's God. And he's standing there talking to this rich young ruler who just thinks he's some good teacher because he just wants to know how to get eternal life. He dishonors God because he doesn't even pull to mind the missing commandments that Jesus doesn't remind him of, those first four in particular. But Jesus is the God of those first four commandments, isn't he? You want to put God first? You've got to put Jesus first. He's not some nebulous sideshow. He is God. He's part of the Trinity. So if you want to honor God, then you have to put Jesus first. And this God came and bled and died for you. Do you believe in Christ? I'm asking you, do you believe in Christ? He bled and died for you. So that you might have eternal life. And that is what the rich young ruler doesn't get. Just sees him as a good teacher. Why? Because all he wants is eternal life. He doesn't want Jesus. All he wants is to hang on to this life because it feels good to be rich. It feels good to have everything in this life, but he forfeits everything in the real life that's to come. What about you? What about me? Are you only interested in eternal life? Is that why we come to church? Because we want eternal life? It's easy to fake being a Christian. Do you know that? It's very easy to lie to yourself and everyone around you about whether you really love God. It's hard to be a Christian. Or are you here because you want to know Christ? Are you here because you want to know what it means to follow Christ? Are you here because you want to know what it means to die to self? You want to know what the gospel is? You want to know the radiance of the glory of God that we've already spoken about? You're here because you want to put Christ first in your life and you find it hard. Is Jesus numero uno in your life? And if you say yes, let me ask you, how are you getting on? How's your life really going? Because it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian, isn't it? 
It's hard to really be a Christian, to follow Christ, to repent, to confess, to put him first in everything. Many years ago, I had a job up at the university and found it very stressful. I asked a Christian friend, how do you cope with this? And he said, well, what I do is I pull up in the car and I pray for forgiveness for my heart. that God will protect me and honor me and keep me going through the day. I said, great, I'll do that. So the next day I went into work and I pulled up in the car and I prayed those things. And they went into work and totally forgot that God existed. That's what we're like. We don't always put him first. It's hard. I know that we might not say that we, we might say that we don't love money. I don't think anyone here would say, yeah, I love money. But ask the question, do you love the things that money gives you? Let's get to the next level. We can say we don't love money, put a million dollars here, physical money, it's just money. What can it do for you? What can it give you? They're the things that we often love. Are we so different from the rich young ruler, if we're honest? Consider his loves. He loved himself. He loved his lifestyle. He loved what money could give him. He didn't care for the poor. He had authority and he didn't care for the poor. And as we close, I want to just deal with a misconception about this passage. Namely, well, Sam, do I have to sell everything and give it to the poor to follow Christ and have eternal life? That sort of sounds a little bit like what it's about. And really what the Lord's doing is kind of catching the man out, isn't he? He's finding out where his love really is. The simple answer is no. Great. I could be as rich as I want, do whatever I want. No. I've already said we're extremely rich. We are. Well, what do I have to do then? <laughs> Telling me I can't keep all my money and I can't give it all away or I should or I shouldn't. But I want to put it simply for you. I want you to consider all the things you have, firstly, are given to you by God for his glory. So how we spend them is so important. I want you to consider and count the value of those things very carefully in relation to you. I want you to ask the most important question in relation to the riches that we have. Am I ready and willing to give it up? Am I ready and willing to say, no, this doesn't matter more than those first four commandments? It doesn't matter more than the high king of heaven who came and died for me on a cross. Years ago, when I was in my 20s, there was a group of us young men who were uh, heady and arrogant and uh, foolish, thought we knew everything about God, so I guess not much has changed. There was one of us whose name was Paul Matthews, and he was a lovely, godly young fellow. And he passed, he did tertiary education, and he um, went and did his master's, and eventually did his PhD, and he came out of that, and he's ready to go into this fantastic career. And he had op opportunities to, to press on in his career and get a, a nice house, and he was even engaged to a, a beautiful, young, godly woman. And he's just a regular guy, you know, coming to church, getting involved, sharing the gospel, being part of the services, you know, had it all together. And then one day, God just put something in his mind that he should go on mission. And his uh, fiance said, well, I don't want to go on mission. He said, well, I have to say goodbye. 
and he separated. He never married that girl. He gave up his home, gave up his illustrious career. Basically, he gave up everything. He went to West Africa. And I'll never forget the commissioning service that our church back home had for Paul Matthews. We had him up at the front and we're praying and rejoicing that God had worked in someone's heart to send them to Africa. And he told, you know, the congregation what he was going to be doing and how he's going to be trying to glorify God. And the thing I remember most is he said this. By the way, um, I don't want you to have the wrong idea. My desire is not to come back. My desire is to go and work in Africa for Christ's honor, uh, not as a mission event or a short-term thing or even a long-term thing. My desire is to go and live there. I want to give this life up to have the life there with those people for Christ's sake. He, he counted it. He counted this life that he had and said, no, it's not real living. I feel the call of God to go on mission and have the life there. And that's what he did. Talk to me later. God had a slightly different uh, plan about what would happen to him. It's very interesting. But he did the work. He went. His desire was to go. He was ready, you see, to give it all up. In one sense, he was dead to all the stuff he had. And the world thinks that's amazing, that stuff. Get your PhD, get a great career, get a fantastic house, get a beautiful wife, some wonderful kids. You're set for life. The truth is you're not. You're set for a small life that ends in death and judgment and eternal hell if you don't know Christ. Paul Matthews was ready and he was willing to give it up. You might say to me this morning, well, I don't love the world or the things in the world, Sam. We don't have to go on mission there. We, we should be on mission here. Right? Don't let me confuse you. You might say, well, I don't love the world or the things in the world. I'm free of that. And I want you to reflect this week. And to start today. You can start right now. I want you to reflect. If something was taken away from you, how would it make you feel? Did you become anxious? Now, I'm not talking about your loved ones. That obviously would make you sad and would make you anxious. I'm talking about material things. If something was taken away from you, how would it make you feel? How would you feel if someone took your car away? You might say, I might get another one. How would you feel if someone took that one away? Would you feel anxious, sad? How about if someone took your job away or your status in the community? whatever that is. How about if someone took your pensions and your investments away? How would you feel? If you feel sad and worried and concerned and anxious about that, then consider where your treasure is. Because the word says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's that saying? Well, the things you treasure most in this life are the things you really love. So we need to consider whether we're treasuring what? Who? Jesus. We need to consider whether we're really loving him. Maybe the idol in our lives is our health. Maybe the idol in our lives is our friends. I think one of the biggest idols that we have in this life is our comfort. Our comfort. We want to be comfortable. 
We want to have a comfortable house, a comfortable armchair, a comfortable living, easy living, great homes. For some people, it's Netflix that they want. That's the, that's the new problem. You know, Netflix vies. It, it fights to get people's time. It fights to get people's sleep. That's what they're saying about it. People come home on a Friday night and they just binge watch movies or, or a series, TV series, all over the weekend. Get a whole series in over the weekend. That's not living. How would you feel if, if that was taken from you or the internet or social me media? And if you can put your finger, and I, I put my finger on those, some of those things, if you can put your finger on any of them, then you need to consider, do they really matter to you that much? Because Christ died for you. He's the high king of heaven. Surely he matters more. He's not just a good teacher. What value are these possessions to us if that's all we have in this life and we don't have the next? And how you count their worth, their value, how you consider the value of those things will show you where your love is. You may be called to give them up. I don't know. Only God knows. You may be called to give them up and go. You may be just made destitute. God is sovereign. We've already prayed and thought about that when we've prayed for Ukraine this morning. He may ask you to give it all up. You may not. Do you value them too much? Do you value them? Do you love them more than you love Christ? I want to close by just taking us to another splendid apostle, a man who had everything pretty much. He's going like Paul Matthews down the great track in Judaism. But something happened. He met Christ and it all changed. And he said this, it's Philippians 3. But, says Paul, whatever gain I had, you hear that? Whatever gain I had in life, I counted, I considered as loss. Whatever I had in this life, I considered as not that important. Well, how did you do that? Well, he says, for the sake of Christ. Christ mattered more to him. That's what he's saying. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you see? Do you get it? He's dead to everything. <laughs> he has stuff. His life changes. It gets really bad. He gives his life up in the end. He's beheaded, as far as we know. Not only that, not only does he count these things as loss, he loses them. He says... For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's a good place to start. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Don't you wish that the rich young ruler had heard this? This would speak volumes to the rich young ruler, wouldn't it? I've, I've lost everything. Or 
account them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. You cannot do anything to get it. You have to trust him. You have to believe him. Why? Why do you want those? Why do you want all that stuff, Paul? And here's the sucker punch in scripture, that I may know him. I may know Christ. I will be face to face with him and the power of his resurrection. And I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, do you hear that? Whatever it takes, that's what he's saying, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I wish that the rich young ruler had heard that, which obviously comes later in time. Chapel Street, I want you to put God first in your life. I want you to consider whether God is first in your life, not your possessions. I really want you to see and savor and treasure Christ. I want you to see the value of Christ, the riches of Christ. And I want you to live for him, ready to give up, just ready. He might call you to, but just be ready to give up all that you have for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, your Lord. Because if you do, you'll be Christians. And if you do, you'll have eternal life. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, Lord, I thank you so much for um, the power of Scripture to rebuke us, to correct us, to wake us up from our slumber, Lord, our easy lives where <clears throat> we have comfort by and large. And Lord, as we've heard this message today, I do pray that as we leave here, we would indeed reflect on the possessions that we have, Lord, that you've given us for your glory and thank you for them. But be ready, Lord. Would you make us ready to give them up if we need to? Would you help us to see whether we are in love with them, whether we're putting them and ourselves before you? Lord, I pray for each one of us that those first four commandments would be the first four that we consider in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.